on ABC Radio. This is The Big Fish with Scott Levi. Ahoy there. Welcome aboard another episode of The Big Fish. And this program is one of the few fishing shows that gives you the true story of fishing. Everyone misses out from time to time. They have those days, even the good ones, where they're skunked, as the Americans called it. And they couldn't catch a cold, couldn't turn a scale, blanked out. Even the great Don Bradman had a few ducks in his day. I think his last innings was a duck. What can you learn, though, from the experience? The Waymaster didn't weigh anything at Mondurin, but learned a lot about the giant barramundi that haunt that beautiful impoundment up in Queensland. Went up there, drove for 10 hours plus, and didn't turn a fish. But he'll be back, armed with knowledge from that trip. That's our first cast on The Big Fish. It's The Big Fish, and if you follow our podcast page at uh, abc.net.au forward slash The Big Fish, you'll note that uh, over the years, Cole the Waymaster Treneman from the Camden Haven on the beautiful mid-north coast of New South Wales has provided plenty of, put plenty of the big into The Big Fish with Monster Mulloway, huge tailor, <laughs> over five kilos, massive mangrove jack. Uh, they're a bit of a, uh, a secret on the mid-north coast, how to catch really trophy-sized mangrove jack, which he does regularly. There's a photo of one of those, I think, a few episodes back of the big fish. Mighty Murray cod that he catches on surface lures, so he gets into the freshwater as well. Some giant Saratoga and barramundi, bragging-sized bass. He's put the big in the big fish over the years. So when he does have a blank, when he does lay a goose egg, I think it's worth reporting on as well. Good morning, Treno. <laughs> Morning, Scotty. How are you? I'm very well. No photos of giant fish coming back from your last trip, but there's a lesson to be learned, isn't there? There is, mate. No, we had a sneaky little trip up to Lake Mondrum. I wasn't real. And for anyone that doesn't know where that is, that's just 22 k's north of um, Gingin in Queensland, which is about 10 and a half hours from here. And it's a fairly long drive home when you've got nothing, let me tell you. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, it's really tough, isn't it, when you go to a place... Uh, a new place and try to to work it out. But one thing you did work out is how critical water temperature is in Lake Mondurin. And we're talking about really warm water, uh, aren't we? That was what um, amazed me when you talk to some of the locals, and the locals are really gold, um, that the water just wasn't warm enough. Was that the problem at Mondurin for this trip? Well, that's correct, mate. See, look, Anyone will tell you that any time after Easter could be a really bad time for Barra because, especially on the lower dams, or, you know, because the weather changes so quickly and it just so happens, or unluckily, we got that first big, big southerly that raced, you know, that low that came up and brought all the half that, like, it's snow and bits of this and the temperatures dropped 15 degrees. And when we got up there, it was a balmy 33 degrees. The lake was 28 or 29 degrees. That was on the Sunday and we thought, oh, yeah, we heard a lot of fish we fished the Sunday night. We got up there, we set up camp and went out and we fished uh, a place that I've been watching a lot of... Um... Oh, here's a little inset warning too. What you see on YouTube is not always true, mate, because I watched hours of it for all these blokes pulling fish in at the same spots that I fished, but they must have been on a different day than when I was there. 
<laughs> yeah, but the fish were there. It's a beautiful impoundment, isn't it? It's gorgeous. Oh, Surrounded by bush, lovely crystal clear, sort of tannin-stained water, you know, so the fish in there look gorgeous. But um, tell us about what you saw on the sounder uh, compared to what you saw on the end of your lure. Mate, saw plenty of fish. Like I said, we heard uh, the first night we were there, we fished till about 9.30 in the, in the night, and we weren't far from the main, uh, the Fred Haig wall. We went up the, the the right arm, they call it. We are sitting up in there, and mate, we heard fish chopping on the surface, and we later found out through a... Uh, a really good, a really nice bloke we met up there, Rusty, his name is. He's one of the charter blokes up there. And um, he, he told us that there would have been a lot of bass because that was originally a bass dam. Anyway, what we saw in the sounder, mate, we saw plenty of fish on the sounder. Um, we only had a... We didn't have a a live scope or we didn't have a Hummingbird 360 or... No, no, we just had a simple sounder with side scan uh, with a pretty good uh, transducer on and we could pick the fish where they were sitting... Bit hard for us to get right up underneath the uh, lily pads, whereas the other ones like the live scope and the 360 can also pick all that fish up there like that. But we saw enough fish to say, right, oh, well, this is a good place to fish. Uh, my experience of fishing big dams like that is I fish windy points. Like I fished a Wonga, it took me two two trips to finally get a barrel, and then the third trip to really nail them. Uh, when I say really nail them, I was there for four days and I got 11 fish. So. That to me is nailing. But when people, you know, say, oh, that's not a great return, we're talking about fish over a metre. We're talking about 20, 30, 40, 50 pound fish. I mean, one of those would do you for the trip, wouldn't it, really? Well, it would have. But see, the funny thing is... I've never... And catch all catch and release, I might add. Yes, that's right. And, and funnily, you should say that. I've never cracked a metre in a dam. My best, my best in a dam is 92. But, mate, they pull like trains. They pull like any metre you catch out in the salt water. But in saying that, they are a dam fishing. For those of you that are not used to it, I've, I've done it for a long time now, and dam fishing is a lot related on the barometer and the, and the water temperature. If I go cod fishing, which is this time of the year, I start out in May, late May, early June, I start my cod fishing because the water, the water temperature in the dam has dropped from, say, 27 or 26 degrees down to 18 or 12. I, I like it around that 12 to 14 degrees because it, or even lower, even 10 degrees because it brings the bait out of that deeper water and pulls them up onto the uh, edges of the banks, and it's easy to get your cod. We're speaking with Cole, the Waymaster Treneman, about his Lake Mondurin uh, trip just the other day, which uh, came up with a big goose egg. So what did you learn? I mean, I thought I would think 26, 27-degree water would be really warm, that the barrel would be turned on. What can they tolerate? or What, what makes them bite? Well, according to a few of the boys up there, that it's 30, 30 to 32 degrees surface temperature that absolutely turns the barrel on and anything warmer than that of course they they just get fired up on the warm water they're such a warm water fish you know what i mean like i remember in the days in the fitzroy and when sounders came out with temperature water temperature on them you know that was a big thing and all of a sudden if you had 23 and 22 degrees you didn't bother chasing barry went chase grunter or or jacks or threadfin but 25 and over seemed to be the magic number but when we got to the dam it was about 28 and a bit, and then uh, two days later, we had the big southerly come through, and the dam surface temperature dropped from 28 down to 24. And when it gets to that, uh, I, I do what every person does in the Wonga. You fish a windy point back into it, but I learned through trial and error and from a couple of, from a couple of blokes that I knew up there, you don't fish the windy points in a southwester, a southerly or a southeaster. You go into the bays behind it, up into the shallow water, 
where your water's just that little bit warmer. Yeah, yeah. And here's the, the rub too. These fish are so huge in Mondrian. We're talking big bronze barra, well over a metre, which I don't know mm-hmm. what they'd weigh in the old scale. They'd be up around 50-pound fish, wouldn't they? They'd uh, be very close to it, mate. They reckon that uh, everybody goes to Faust. Faust Dam's got a lot of big barra, but they're skinny. A Wonga, uh, the three big dams with big barra, big fat barra Monday, uh, uh, Tindaroo, a Wonga, and Mondurin. And, and Mondurin is the, the closest to New South Wales, is it? Um, what's yep, what's the closest the one to New South Wales? That would be the closest one. That's the furthest one south that they actually put Bower in was Mondurin Dam. There's a lot of... It was it started off as a bass dam because they used to have bass classics there 10 years ago, 12 years ago. But then they thought they'd put Barramundi in there and Barramundi can tolerate a little bit of cooler water. They still get them through the winter, but they're a lot harder. Like I said, they're up right up looking for them thinning in amongst the weed beds. But mind you, that dam has come up a lot since last year. Last year was only 80-something percent. Now it's 100. It's about 98 percent. And it's a massive dam. It's 28K from where you put your boat in to the top of the dam before you turn left and go up further. I haven't been there, but looking at the YouTube clips that make you salivate with these huge, beautiful barramundi in there and lots of them, mm. it just looks gorgeous. I mean, the, the uh, forest right down to the edges, clear yeah. water, um, I mean, middle of summer. So middle of summer would be the best bet. Would it around around Christmas or something? Oh, mate, November, December, January, February would be your primo four months of fishing there. March is a little bit funny because it can be hot, can be cooler. April is definitely starting to go on that cooler side of things. So you you sort of you're running into your cold weather. So you know if you can get a week of good high pressure where you get or nor'easters where you get that lovely warm water down from the top end of Queensland and it keeps the water surface for temperature warm. Mate, beautiful. Like I said, I've fished some beautiful dams. Barumba would have to be the most prettiest dam I've ever fished, and I think I've told you that before. Yeah, it's gorgeous. It's got um, some beautiful bass in it too, hasn't it? Oh, bass, toga, yellow belly, silvers. I think I've led to believe there's been a few sooties put in there over oh. the last few years. So, mate, if the sooties take off an hour, crikey, you don't have to go any further than... Don't have to go any further than Gimpy to get everything you want. Oh, I love Sooty Grunter. They are the best fun, and they take a fly like and take a surface fly like nobody's business too. Oh, mate, they, there's one thing I made of Mackay there, and it's just stock chock a block full of Sooty Grunter and big boys too. They fight. They really oh. pull hard. They they are just an incredible fish and uh, oh. great great fun to catch. And and they they school up too. They if they love to live in a snag, and and I love that pecking order. You know, the biggest That's one will right. take your fly first. And then, then you'll let that one go, and he'll go back, and then the next one will take its turn, and so on. And they'll come out as a, a, a tribe, whereas the bass don't really do that, do they? They don't really live all packed in on a snag like that. Uh, they, live, they go out in the middle of the dams, like you get Somerset and some of the bigger dams, big bass dams, and there's schools of them, and they're suspended, probably two or 300 fish suspended off the bottom in the middle of nowhere, but whether they're going to chew or not is another thing. Yeah, that's more like a, a spawning sort of behaviour, though, isn't it? That's right. That's, yeah. that's your winter behaviour. They get in there and they make big schools. Summertimes, they're all around the edges. You might get two off the one snag. It's very rare. Like, I know the McClay, for instance. I've pulled up at snags and you said, there's got to be fish here. I'd love to have a live scope just to look to see what's there. And you'll pull one off of there and you keep casting, you won't get another fish. But... Mm. In saying that, you know, there might be three or four sitting there looking saying, I'm not doing what that bloke just done. I haven't seen him yet. He's gone away. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're really interesting, the sooties, when you can see them in clear water, some of those jungle streams, um, and there's some beauties up around the back of Townsville where I fished. You'll see them in the snag, and then one will, will be brave enough to come out and whack it, 
and then three or four will come out and, and, and you just have so much fun. But, uh, yeah, it's a great, great place to visit. It's a big fish, and we're speaking with Cole the Waymaster Treneman, who's just been up to Monduran Dam, which is a beautiful impoundment. Blanked, came back with a goose egg, didn't turn a scale, although did you have a hit? Oh, a couple, mate. I got my pants pulled down a couple of times, which means by that, and it's not rude, when they come up and I'll just grab the tail and I'll pull the plastic down on the hook. Oh, and that's it, so frustrating. Yeah, probably had a few of those. Or that's so, half a dozen or a dozen of those. so frustrating after you've fired... 20,000 casts and your arms falling off. Uh, well, it was five to 600 a day, I reckon. That was from, well, we, we found out that if there's no need to get out at Sparrow Fart in the morning and get out and have a go. But, you know, about eight o'clock and breakfast, get out on the water at eight o'clock and be back by just on dark. And that was fine. You know, you could, you'd still get fish through the day. Uh, I talked to a lot of blokes up there. They do get a few at night, but that's more of a daytime dam, not like, say, a Wonga or. Tinaroo and that, that where they fire at night. It's, it's just a different a different thing. But getting back to your, your lessons learnt, mate. Oh, crikey. Uh, what, the more you don't get or don't succeed at, the more you learn, I reckon. So the five and 600 casts and then little snippets of information that you can get out of people. And then, you know, okay, I never got nothing this trip. But and if I go back up there next year, which I will be going up because no damn's beaten me yet, I'll go up there again next year and I'll put into practice what I've learnt. And if I crack a fish, mate, I'm I'm happy as, you know, like King Kahoot and all these millions. But I'm just, like I said, it, it's getting that hard work. Sometimes <clears throat> sometimes you can be gifted fish, like like mine, myself and the McClay, or it's taken me, uh, what, 10 years, I suppose, of fishing um, uh, Copeland so I can get... I still duck egg out there every now and then. But I can say, right, I'm going to fish this moon phase... And I know I'm going to run, run into at least one or two or three fish. You know and we're talking I mean? so, talking really big, cod around the metre mark there, yeah, aren't we? Yeah. What what sort of techniques will work in Monduran, um, even though they almost worked for you but didn't? Um, you know what what would work? I mean, and, and obviously I reckon you'll go back in the the height of summer uh, next yeah. time. So what what sort of techniques will work on those huge barracks? Because you need a fairly big big bait to tempt them, don't they? Fairly big um, soft plastic or surface lure or diving lure to tempt them. Well, here's the funny thing. We're throwing everything you should do. Your five and four and five, your five and six inch and seven inch plastics and hard bodies and suspending lures and surface lures and weren't even getting a touch. And I was talking to Rusty and he said, oh, no, 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 you're coming through and he look at me tackle box. He goes, oh, throw that away, throw that away, throw that away. And I went, oh, crikey, of course. He said, no, not here. Oh, that's it. He said, did you bring any four-inch lures? I went, no. He said, well, go and get you some white. He said, white four-inch lures, paddle tail. And he said, you rig them up weedless. No weight, just weedless. And I said, really? He goes, get right up in the back of bays because it's dropped, the water's dropped. So get around in the bays that have got weed. And he said, um, where it's warmer. You'll notice the water is warmer because the wind's not directly hitting it. The sun's on it. So by midday or one o'clock, your water temperature, instead of being 24, will be up around 25, 26 degrees, which is a little bit better, not as good as what it is. He said, he looked at me, he told me, don't fish the windy points. Windy points, I like in the Wonga, and then they do that at Modra, at, um, at uh, Tinaroo and a few other dams, Faust and that sort of thing. But only in a nor'easter, if you go back to that dam. This is what I've learned. Only in a nor'easter do you go back and fish the windy points, under the, like you've got a point coming out with timber and... Um, uh, uh, lily pads you go back and you fish that 
in a nor'easter because the warm water, uh, warmer wind, keeping the water warm. You know what I mean? So in the colder stuff, you go up into the bays, right? There's one bay that we fished a lot. We saw a lot of fishing. And believe me when I tell you, it's called Insane Bay for a reason. It looks yeah. like there's so much uh, good good habitat for them. Lots of snags, lots of drop-offs, lots of weed beds, lots of lily pads, lots of shade. Um, where do you start in a dam like that? Well, that's it. Like, we went and tried near, like I said, near Fred Hague Dam. We all went up that right arm they've tried there. Good. We saw fish on the sounder. You know, we heard buffs on the surface, and that was the first night. So I said, right So we went out fish there the next morning. I had my pants pulled down once there. And I said, right well, there's fish here. And then all of a sudden, it died off. And we're talking to Rusty later on. He said, that, that spot really hasn't fired in about a year and a half. My advice to people that want to go up to fish Lake Modern, right, get up there. Make sure, or if you can, possibly, there's three guides up there. Book them. They're not cheap. They are very, they're expensive. And they'll take up to two blokes. One or two blokes, and it's usually a 9, 8.30 start. You're back by 3.30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Unless he's got a double charter, then you start early and finish late. All right? But my advice to you is to get with him in the first day or two you're there because you'll learn so much off them. They're there every day of the week. And they know so much. And they'll take you and show you places and spots. If they know you're staying there, they won't. he won't show you, say, Rusty will take you out. He won't show you where he's going to fish the next couple of days. But he's got other spots he'll take you to where you'll get fish. And he'll, he'll put you on the right path of what to use. When it goes sour, this is what you put on. And when it does, when it's starting to fire, this is what you use. And that's my advice to anyone going up there. Get a guide first. Try and get a guide in one of the first couple of days or day that you're up there, line it up with him and go out and learn the dam because then you won't come home like me with your tail between your legs. <laughs> well, look, even the best uh, have got to learn and it's more about the recce, getting to know the water, um, putting all of those facts and, and uh, little tidbits of information into the old grey computer up there in your scone and, and spitting out the right answer. We're talking about a dam. I was just looking at the stocking history from uh, 2011 to 2018, 577 thousand barramundi fingerlings, seven hundred and seventy six thousand Australian bass fingerlings have been released. The barra can live over twenty years. So it's chock is full of fish. Well there's catfish there as well. And they reckon there's a smattering of tiger as well. So Yeah. Wow. And, and it just shows how sustainable rod and line fishing is. How how oh. much a fish is a barramundi is worth to that community, to those caravan parks and to those towns around those bass to barra trail impoundments in, in right. Queensland. It's it's a multi-million dollar uh, draw card, isn't it? And it uh, looks like you'll be drawn back to Mondurin. It, it won't beat you. No, mate, she won't beat me. No fear. I'll be back there. Don't you worry. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, tight lines, mate. And so often you've provided the great photos. When you were going to Mondurin, I thought, oh, beauty, I'll get a really good shot of a, a metre plus, his, his magical metre plus barra, because there's plenty of them, plenty of them in there uh, over yep. a metre. And uh, that'll be our main photo for the big fish. But I don't know what I'm going to put up uh, on the blog site now. Just a picture of you forlorn. A duck egg. (laughs) A duck egg. (laughs) Uh, Or even Bradman got a duck, mate, in his last test. Tight lines, Treno. Oh, thanks, mate. Here we
I don't like gold and I don't like pearls. I'm just your regular West Australian fisherman's daughter. I'm a middle class folk singing guitar playing girl. Coming up, Steak has been having a bit of fun out on the water with the crew from Marine Rescue. This is The Big Fish with Scott Levi on ABC Radio. Get out of it. Bloody seagulls. On ABC Radio, this is The Big Fish. Here comes Stinker with his fishing tips. Some hot advice for your fishing trip. Where to find them? What's the bait? Are you catching any, mate? Morning, Stinker. Hey, g'day, Scott. How you going, mate? What have you been up to? Oh, dear, I mean, you know, everyone... Fishermen particularly talk about the weather and farmers. Fishermen and farmers are always talking about the weather. And really, it just, where I go and what I do, it just hasn't been right. And I'm like a caged lion. Um, And down on the beach, right in front of our house, the mullet men are still busy. Oh, dear, they've caught some fish this this year, this has been a bumper season for the mullet in in Port Stephens. I don't know what it's like in other places along the coast, but but here, oh, I think they've had one of their best seasons for a long time. The amount of fish that are passing here, uh, um, I've never seen as many fish. So somewhere, someone's doing the right thing. You know, we fisheries seem to have it under control, and good luck to them. But in the river systems, and anyone who fishes the river systems and the bays, the ports, the amount of mullet that are ready, I mean, they get all ready. Snap, uh, mullet, pretty, they don't look smart. Mullet don't look smart at all with their sort of round head. It look, might look good for butting, but not much else, really. You wouldn't think there was any stuff thought going on inside there but they they must know what's going on because they they grow uh, inside the system inside the uh, estuaries and when the right time comes there's one smart mullet amongst all the million that say right let's rock and they fire out to sea and they head north and they've been doing that forever from as far as records have ever been caught these huge schools of mullet have poured out of the river systems and headed north along the coastline. And and the numbers suggest that, yes, as you say, that it is very sustainable. And, Stinker, have you been offshore? Again, it hasn't been all that really calm. You wouldn't call it calm. That's the last word you'd use. But, I, yes, I had a great trip during the week. I went up to... I do history tours around here because I'm a mad historian. As much as I love my fishing, I also love local history. I'm big into that. And I'm always looking for 
answers and old black and white photos. Do you know I've got nearly oh, maybe 2,000 old black and white photos of of um, what happened here, the pioneers and the Aboriginal people. And Oh, look. So anyway, to get back to your, your question, I took a group, um, the Marine Rescue, up to Broughton Island uh, earlier in the week um, for a history tour of Broughton Island, and we had a great day, and we defied the weather. We got up on, in good conditions. We punched back into a miserable west, westerly in the afternoon, but we all had a really good day. Oh, that's great. There's a radio base on the island too that goes uh, 24-7. That's very useful. That's a, a, a very important safety link to the mainland, isn't it? It's an unmanned radio base, and any of the um, those listening, rescue organisations along the coast, I wonder how many unmanned radio bases there are along the coast. Um, that It's very interesting you mention that, because that's got quite a history, and I don't think there are too many of them. But the job these people do, and not only in Port Stephens, I mean, they're essential. Without them, it would be a very boating would be a very dangerous exercise without marine rescue here in Port Stephens. And I'm and I know that that's how it is right along our coastline. Now it's got to be understood that these people are volunteers. They're there 24 hours a day, uh, seven days a week, 12 months of the year. And and really, I don't think they they get enough publicity to to tell people exactly what they do. And they're such a good organisation. They're really well organised and they're proud of it too. There's a real um, feeling of pride in what they do. So I've only got good things to say about them. And and Stinker, if you look at the US or the UK, I believe, as well, this is costing the taxpayers billions of dollars because they have Coast Guards they have people who are paid to do this, but we have a, a volunteer group who, who do that job and uh, don't get paid for it. So it's, uh, yeah. it's pretty amazing, isn't it? And we've got a, a big sea coming. They train for that. Uh, and unfortunately, if someone gets caught out in this six-metre swell that's being forecast for next week, well, the, the people who put their lives in their hands to get, bring you back safely to harbour, and, and they do it quite regularly, uh, the uh, Marine Rescue New South Wales people, uh, at, at every river mouth, at every bar, at every port, uh, they've got a base, haven't they? They do, and they they risk their lives. Uh, and re- let's hope that no one's crazy enough to head out to sea in this coming week, because if you look at the bomb site, you'll you'll see a massive sea coming in a couple of days' time. And so it's time just to give fishing and boating outside the heads a real miss. It's because it's just—it's going to be a big sea. It's quite a, a southerly change coming. I mean, for Sydney's temperature to drop down to, to fifteen or sixteen degrees for a top on, on Monday, it shows you what a cold change it is. Bringing snow down to, to nine hundred metres or or below. I mean, it's it's quite a change that's going to be barreling up from the south, and as you say, pumping up that big southerly swell. You wouldn't want to be. Uh, out there at all. Remember the time we were on Esmeralda and this huge southerly swell marched up? It just marches straight past the, the heads to that little bay, doesn't it? It was quite extraordinary. And those those commando fellows who came in in yellow kayaks oh, and, and yeah. stayed overnight on the beach next door and then took off 
into that swell um, with the waves surfing their way up towards Seal Rocks. I mean, our commandos, <laughs> they're pretty tough, aren't they? I'll tell you what, if, they, if they'd have turned around and ter- went into the direction in which they came, then they'd be tough because it, it was a, a screaming southerly. So if you come from Nelson Bay and you go out through Port Stephens and you go to Broughton Island, you're travelling um, north with the southerly wind. And then when they, I looked at those guys and I thought, now, how tough are these guys? Are they going to turn around and run and <laughs> paddle back against this massive southerly or are they going to let the wind blow them to, to foster? So they got to the outside where the wind was blowing. I said, are they going to turn right or left? Well, there must have been a smart one amongst them, and he said, Paddle left, boys. They went left. <laughs> Look, I, I spoke to one of those guys, and they didn't let on too much. They were they were actually SAS commandos doing some training. And I said, you must be really experienced kayakers. He said, no, we've never done it before. <laughs> <laughs> so they're pretty mad, but obviously, you know, they're, they're very fit, very fit, and very brave. <laughs> and uh, I just thought that was fantastic. I hope, not, hope I'm not giving away any national secrets in their training methods. <laughs> No, well, look, it was. It's amazing some of the achievements here that that people on Broughton Island, uh, particularly there was a lady, she rowed a boat. Now this is in a northerly wind. This is in a northerly. She rowed a big boat, a big fishing boat, uh, um, from Broughton Island to the entrance to Port Stephens, and she worked it so there was a, a run-in tide. So she rode in a northerly wind, and that's eight nautical miles she rode, and then she waited till the tide ran in, and then she caught the tide, and the tide washed her in. And the reason she did that was because her husband, the fisherman, um, had pneumonia, and he, he needed a doctor, and, of course, they couldn't get a doctor to him out at Broughton Island, so she rode all the way. So there are great achievements on the ocean, but don't try any next week. No, no, that's right. Well, and we don't recommend rock fishing at all, even in any condition. But there are some spots that really fire up when they get a good wash going into them. Uh, I'm thinking of your favourite brim spot, Stinker. Not that we want people to go anywhere near the rocks, but uh, it does get a bit of a, uh, you know, the brim do come in when there's a bit of action there. Oh, well, let's work, let's work out one thing for starters. This six-metre sea that's supposed to come this coming week, no one goes anywhere. Yeah, everyone just lock, batten down the hatches and stay home. But if you could, if you could get to this prim spot, which you can't, which you won't be able to because the sea's too big, but it faces north and it's protected by the island. And it's they're called the Grit Hole uh, or Shelley. And it, um, it, was re- it was on Fingal Island and it was the playground for all the lighthouse keepers. So when the lighthouse keepers and their families wanted to have a picnic, they'd go to this place and swim around because it's very safe and the uh, shell, all shell grit bottom and crystal clear water. It's just a most magnificent place. At around high tide, it may be, oh, just let me think, two metres deep at high tide, and really, it's only knee-deep at low tide. But at night time, when there's a big rough sea rolling outside, particularly in winter months, 
and there's no moon, if the moon's, uh, if it's a dark night, the brim pour in there, they can't, they're shoulder to shoulder, they're like sardines in a tin, <laughs> and they just swim around in there, and oh, gee, it's a great spot. <laughs> and those big brim on the seaside of things, you know, they're really strong, aren't they? They really pull hard. Well, they've just come off the beach. They've moved along the beach and they're getting in there for a bit of a rest. And it's halfway along Fingal Island on the north side facing Broughton Island. But it come to notice in 1929 when a ship called the Papenborough run aground there uh, right adjacent to the grit hole and the, the crew of 16, they run so far up onto the rocks that the crew of 16 stepped off the, the boat, the ship, without getting their feet wet and walked up to the lighthouse at 2 o'clock in the morning. And it was a pretty wild night, I was heard. And they knocked on the door of the lighthouse keeper and there were 16 blokes all, all waiting for a cup of tea. What a story. I'm writing another book at the moment about about the history of, of a road <laughs> of, of a road. It was only 10 kilometres long, but it's the worst road in Australia. Uh, and it goes through a swamp and it com- continually collapses. So if you t- decide to go along this road, you're sort of risking death every time you drive on it. I'm, actually, I'm writing two books. The other one's called Banjo the Brim. Uh, and so it's the life story, life story of a little brim. So I'm writing a kid's book and a history book at the same time. So that'll keep me busy if the winter's a bit um, bit rough. Good stuff, Stinker. Well, hopefully more big seas so you can sit around the fire and, uh, and pen those great stories. Tight lines, mate. Hooray, Scott. This is The Big Fish on ABC Radio. This fish is done. Come on, let's put the band together. Let's drum up some business. We'll sell some fish. You ready? Ready, guys? Ready, screw? Come on. Into it. Let's go. Okay, that's it now. You got some change, you got some change here for you. 
salt on that. I'll put some salt on that. That's it. Come on, that world pass. Fish, fish. Fish fry. Fish, fish. Fish fry. Fish, fish. Fish fry. Fresh fish. That's it. That's it. Take that. You got some salt. There's some salt over there. the big fish and some of the best fun you'll have standing up is fishing for whiting off our beautiful beaches along the New South Wales coast and throughout Sydney and Newcastle and the central coast so a fair slab of that territory the whiting are biting Rob Longney at bait shop Tookley the worm brigade are really getting into them is that right? Uh, that's correct mate the whiting up this in town have been absolutely on fire mate there's quite a few around down the entrance entrance channel all the way up to Caves Beach mate Whiting are everywhere. And I guess if you can't find a, a gutter to yourself, just go for a walk up the beach until you find one. Uh, the further you go, the, the less crowd you'll have. Oh, that's it, mate. It's, uh, there's, there's plenty of spots to grab. Uh, we, like I said, there's plenty of beach lines. It's just a matter of walking over the top of the hill, studying the beach line, looking for those gullies and fishing them. Yeah, get the Polaroids out, I think. Rob is a good tip, isn't it? Make sure you can see the... Um, the contour of the bottom and the waves will, will give it away. A, a big swell coming next week, so maybe this weekend uh, is the time to get in for them. What happens to them when the really big seas come in, Rob? Uh, well, when the big swell come in, mate, it's just the, a lot of the beaches are, are too difficult to fish. Um, a lot of us guys, we like to fish light up this end of town. Uh, a lot of people in the area know that I'm an avid whiting fisherman. I target them pretty much all the time. Um, you know, I fish a lot of four-pound line with very light leaders, red beads, size one hook, live worms if I can get them. And, yeah, you just got to fish as light as possible if you can. But the thing is, when you get the big swell, you can't do that. So when we get those big swells, we pretty much don't even bother trying. And it's all over. So this weekend might be the weekend. Take us through what you would do. Um, say at North Entrance or Lakes Beach, huge expanses of sand there. So there's, I'm not giving away any <laughs> secret spots, Rob, I hope, because you just, as I said, walk up to the next gutter, don't you? Oh, that's pretty much right. It's, uh, but the thing with whiting, you can catch them pretty much right along the beach. Sometimes you don't even, even need to find, find a gully. A lot of the gullies is where a lot, lot of your brim and your tail like to hide, and the whiting are amongst them. But uh, especially up the top here around, around Hargraves, Jenny Dixon Beach, Soldiers, where we don't have a lot, lot of gullies, and that, just a lot of flat sections, but, but we do catch quite a lot of whiting on them. 
Well, you'll see them inside some of those really protected spots too, Cabbage Tree Harbour, Tawoon Bay, Blue Bay. If you put the snorkel on or you're going for a swim, you'll often see good schools of whiting just in those areas that actually don't have any white water at all, won't you? But they're a little bit harder to trick in those spots. <laughs> I've been fishing Cabbage Tree Bay for about 10 years, and to tell you the truth, I've only ever caught one whiting there. That's how, that's how, how uh, uh, elusive they are there. The, the water's very clear, they're very spooky, very difficult to catch. They are indeed. You'll see more than you catch, won't you? But the, the, you've hit on the secret going very, very light. The only trouble is you're likely to hook a dewy or something on four-pound line. That's always a chance, isn't it? Oh, mate, I've caught bronze whaler sharks, all sorts of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like a lucky lottery. Sometimes when you've got a fresh piece of worm on there, mate, you, Mr. Dewfish, he doesn't mind picking up a fresh piece, piece of worm. Uh, the salmon don't mind a fresh fresh piece of worm. <laughs> Brim, flathead. So, yeah, it, it's... It's like a lucky lottery out there. Oh, look, I can just imagine <laughs> the fun on a four-pound outfit and you've got to set the drag really light when you hook into a six-pound salmon in the surf. That's just ridiculous. Uh, that's, you know, there's 20 minutes unless you want to snap off. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's definitely definitely fun, mate. I actually do catch quite a few salmon like that. Um, a lot of the boys sit there and laugh at me for, you know, say, what do you talk to yourself? But it's the light gear, light line, light game fishing, so... I just make the most of it because you know, next week I might go down there, I might not even catch anything. That's right. They do move around. That's They're very mobile fish on the beach. So take us through what you're doing at the moment. You'll find a, a good spot. And as you say, it doesn't have to be a gutter. It can just be that drop-off, particularly if the, the surf's not pounding. Um, so you've, you've caught a beach worm or, or bought a beach worm. Um, long leader, light lead. Take us through your, your setup and, and how you fish that, that scenario. Boys know that I that that's mainly the fish I like to target up here along the beach lines of whiting. So I get a lot of people who look at look at my rig because a lot of times I'm bagging out down the beach and there a lot of people standing trying to work out why I'm catching so many fish. But when they come up and they see the gear I'm using, I'm using like a seven seven foot eight rod, ultra light, maybe one to three kilo. I'm fishing anywhere from three pound fluorocarbon straight through to four pound braid, maybe with a six pound leader. And I've got this thing about red beads. I have about three to four red beads with a size size two long shank hook with about a 50, 55 centimetre trace with about a number eight to ten, ten swivel with about a number one to size two sinker. If you want to catch those big, big elusive whiting, what you've got to do, if you've got a little bit of run, what you do, walk with it. A lot of the times you'll pick fish up within three to five metres. Wow, that's that's quite different to a, what, a lot of people who who'll go to the biggest sinker they can, keep them in one spot. You're saying that is not a way to catch them. Uh, if you want to catch those big elusive whiting, mate, no, you've got to keep moving with it. But walk along the beach with it, keep that line dead straight. Uh, because the problem when you fish a big sinker whiting, as soon as they feel a little bit of weight, they just let it go. So you'll put four of those red beads right on top of the hook, will you? Yes. Yeah. Three, three to four red beads. I even put one uh, on each side of my sinker that, so when I'm casting and, and the sinker hits the water, you don't get that, that clacking noise. You got that click, 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 tick, yeah, tick, tick, tick. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah and that's another, another little attraction as well. You are absolutely fair dinkum about this, Rob Longnear, and they are the best fish to eat in the moment. The ones along the, the stretches of beach you're talking about are really big and fat too. It's, it's not uncommon to catch a 40-plus centimetre fish, is it? No, through the winter time, mate, we've 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 caught them up to fifties, fifty twos, 
uh, there's spots down in Brisbane water. I catch them a little bit bigger at certain one one time of the year, um, but we don't give away too much information where, where we get those fish. But um, but yeah, if you fish light and you're prepared to put the time in, mate, you will find the big fish. They are there. And when your hand only gets halfway around the head, that's uh, how I measure a decent whiting. And there are plenty like that, but you've hit the nail on the head, and it's not for everybody. It's very difficult if there's a bit of weed on the beach and a bit of run. You've got to be pretty clever, haven't you? You use a, a regular egg beater reel, do you? You use a, a 2,000 or yeah, something? Yeah, I just use a yeah, little 2,000, mate. Just like I said, load up with a bit of 3-pound fluorocarb straight through or maybe 4-pound braid with a 6-pound litre maximum. And I, I, I take two different rigs. I do take... The rod with the with the full fluoro, and I do take the rig with the with with the braid as well, and I like to fish both rigs because sometimes one rig will actually outfish it, fish the other rig. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough, and and not throwing to the horizon. That's the other tip, maybe. No, you don't need to try to throw to New Zealand. Most of the boys laugh at me because they go, "How come you only throw it about fifteen, twenty metres?" Well, whiting like to stick close to the white water because they're a main predatory predatory fish like jewfish. Well, the whiting is, is one of his staple diets, so whiting like to stick close close to the whitewash because they're a very spooky fish. So the moment they, they see any signs of, of danger, they dive into that white water and they're safe. And uh, you'll see Rob down the beach. He's the one with a bend in his rod while everyone else is, <laughs> is blanking. There's a reason for it. It's not easy to fish that fine, but uh, pays pays the dividends. A nice bit of live worm. If you can catch your own, that's great fun for the kids. If you find a kid with a strong back, it'll amuse them for hours, Rob. Oh, that's it. Yeah, a bit, bit of an art to it, but mate, once, once you get the knack of it, Pulling a fresh worm from the beach and catching a fish on it, mate, there's nothing more satisfying. Uh, that's that's as good as it gets. Rob Longney, tight lines. Good luck uh, before the big seas come. I hope you can bag out a few more whiting. Yeah, same here. <laughs> You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listener.